The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. We're glad you found us. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Discover a positive path for spiritual living. Welcome to Voices of Unity with Reverend Ellen Debenport. And this is Ellen Debenport. Welcome to Voices of Unity. This is a show that invites different new thought leaders to share their wisdom, their expertise, whatever it is they're into, to help you dive deep into spiritual topics so you can discover new ideas and practices to enhance your life. I'm sort of a host and MC for this show, and I have long-term guests. They come on for several weeks at a time, and this is week eight and the final session, at least this time around, with our guest, Reverend Ken Daigle from Unity of San Francisco. Ken? Hi, Ellen. Hi. We are both in the eastern time zone today, I think. No, I'm still Uh, in central. Oh, are you? Okay. We're both away from home. Um, I'm in Charlottesville, Virginia for a conference, and Ken is in Nashville to be with baby Joshua. And we'll get an update in just a second. But while we're talking today, if you're listening live on September 25th, please join us. Call in, ask a question, make a comment. The number is 816-251-3555. And our topic today is tenacity, which (laughs) I can't even say it without laughing. Because Ken mentioned a few weeks ago that every time a minister sets a topic or a title for something coming up, they get to live it. And so Ken has gotten to live tenacity <laughs> for the last few weeks. Yeah. So how are things? How's the baby? Um, baby Joshua is doing much better and at the same time struggling. So, uh, yeah, I, I am living tenacity this week. Uh, yesterday I was at the hospital for 12 hours and I left the hospital and there was uh, uh, just a sense that, okay, this is the long haul part. <laughs> you know, this is the, uh, the grit of the daily grind. So um, what's going on, for those of you who don't know, um, my son Joshua was born four weeks ago, just a little over four weeks, on August 23rd, and he was born premature and with some physical complications. So last week he had surgery, last Wednesday, right after our show, he had surgery and had what a procedure known as mandible distraction. They went in and cut his jaw so that they could extend it. And he has a device in the, in his jaw now that every day, eight, three times a day, we turn the device so that his jaw grows out. The physician, the surgeon who performed the surgery uh, met me the day after and uh, was showing me how the device would work over the next week. We're going to continue this process. And he said, uh, you know, if you've, if you've used a screwdriver, you can do this process on your son. So we've encouraged parents to do it. And I looked at him and said, I have used a screwdriver, but never on a person before. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> I had to 
take a deep breath and I watch the procedure and I see how it does. Joshua has two titanium bolts that come out from behind his ears and they're very flexible. Uh, and as you attach the turning device to it, you turn it twice. And in the turning it twice, it moves his jaw less than a half a millimeter each mm. time. So that slowly but surely we're moving his jaw out. And, um, and it's been an interesting process. I've done it about a half dozen times. Uh, like I said, it happens every three hours, every th three times a day, every eight hours. And so I've had the privilege of having to do it, but it does take some strength, some tenacity to stay with the process. I want instant results. I don't know about anybody else out there, <laughs> but I know you're the I, only I, one. Yeah, <laughs> I just wanted the surgery to be done and him to be better. And that's not the way healing happens for any of us, right? Right. And I, so I'm in the middle of that now. We're about halfway through the process today. And he, they tried to give him a bottle again yesterday, and he wasn't quite successful. He's better, but not there. Not 100% yet. So i'm I'm in my humanness struggling with the desire for it to be fixed yesterday, and in my spirituality, knowing that this is the perfect unfolding mm -hmm. both at the same time. So and right. then you know, then just to get you like I walk out of the hospital last night and there was a ticket on my car for illegal parking <laughs> <at> the hospital <laughs> and those are those when I'm screaming and yelling and complaining <laughs> that I have to go and uh, there's a solution. So I had to get to be fully human in my anger, in my anger. And unfortunately, the anger and the fear all comes out on a parking ticket onto a, uh, a parking officer. Sure. Then I'm what I'm really scared about. So. Yeah, it's those little things where we may be most human. On the big ones, we know, okay, what are my spiritual principles here? Yeah. How can I handle this? But the little ones catch me by surprise, and I just go off <laughs> before I catch myself. And then we get to laugh at ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> like, absolutely laugh at ourselves. So I'm glad he's better. I read about this surgery, and it, it really is amazing that his little jaw can just grow to fill in the bone that it needs. Uh, as it's moved forward a tiny bit each day. And one of the, the surgeon also told me why it works so well, especially that's why we want to do it when they're so young, four weeks old, is because they are just swimming in stem cells, right? Their little bodies are just still in the process of forming. Uh -huh. So uh, while it, we all have that possibility of growing new bone, we do it all the time, but while they're this young, it's actually even more formative. So, you know, like a little child, that's what our, our affirmations are for affirming that our body can respond to that. And we all have stem cells. It's just a matter of activating them to work in our body to, to renew it, uh -huh. to transform it, to become whole in a new way. And so. stem cells can become anything we need them to be, right? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. That's why they're so magic. Wow. Okay. Well, I'm glad things are going, you know, as well as they can. Just that he could have the surgery and was healthy enough to breeze through it must be a yeah. good sign. It is. It is. He did really well in surgery and he's breathing on his own. 
uh, now no assisted devices. So that's all great news. Oh, that's great news. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for sharing this journey with us. I've been telling everyone I know about it that they, they need to come listen to these shows because you have been so eloquent in how you balance your human side with the spiritual laws that you know. And that this event in your life has been, oh gosh, I don't want to say God is testing us, but um, it's been an opportunity to practice what we preach, hasn't it? It is. I mean, it, it really is because we can know this stuff intellectually. I mean, I, I've been studying new thought and, and metaphysics for 30 years now. And, and at each stage, I can look back and see how I had a certain level of understanding, a certain richness in my practice. And now, as things are happening in real time, I'm getting to explore it at a deeper level. So there's no separation. I mean, there's not, a, there's not no separation. How about that for a double negative? There's not no separation. <laughs> <laughs> There is less of a separation today than there was previously in my life. And as I shared with you by email this week, this process of being on your show has really enabled me to process it on a spiritual level in real time. Mm -hmm. Knowing that I was going to come talk to you, I would spend time thinking about it, praying about it, meditating. and. And then also looking at what I had written weeks before about what I wanted to talk about and having to look at how that applied. So this practice has been for my good. So regardless of what's happening on the outside, you know, like we talked about last week, I don't call a baby or anyone's baby or anyone's child being sick good. Mm -hmm. But the process has been good to me and through me and for me in all yeah. those ways so yeah. and so oh, the overarching theme of these eight shows has been science and spirituality and today's topic is tenacity or grit is grit a science <laughs> well according to angela duckworth it is uh she's an amazing researcher she has her phd in psychology from penn and uh, her story is fascinating is you can read her book, Grit, and it's amazing. Uh, but uh, what I've learned in studying her and studying the, the topic is really important. When Angela was a little kid, little girl, she grew up in, in uh, Pennsylvania, her father would constantly say to her, you're no genius. Oh. You know, she'd be eating breakfast and say, you know, you're no genius. And he would say it to all of her siblings as well. But uh, he could be reading the Wall Street Journal and look down at his daughter and say, you know, you're no genius. So <sighs> it was really kind of interesting for Angela. She kind of knew that she wasn't the brightest kid in the class. But it was with a lot of irony in 2013, Angela accepted the MacArthur Fellowship. And it's sometimes called the Genius Grant. The Genius Grant. Award. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and the amazing thing about it is the uh, genius award is people don't apply for it your peers have to nominate 
hate you, right? You can't apply to be a genius. <laughs> she was recognized by her peers in the field as a genius and, uh, and was given the award. And her father was at the ceremony watching and listening. He was older at the time and in the wheelchair, but she was so proud to see her accomplish all this. And she describes it is been a lifelong quest because in her late 20s, she left a very demanding job as a consultant. She was on one of those high pay. She had an MBA and she was one of those high paid consultants that come in and tell corporations what to do, how to streamline, how to innovate, how to be more successful, how to be more profitable. Really, really stressful. But she said she left it for something even more stressful. She became a public school teacher teaching seventh grade math. Oh my gosh, yes. Yeah, right. So she went to the New York City public schools to teach seventh graders math. Oh. And one, yeah, one of the things that she noticed in her class is that the smartest kids in the class didn't get the best grades, that the most gifted of her students weren't the highest performers. What she discovered, and then she applied when she went, left that job and went and got her PhD, was that those who actually do the work, the ones who were most dogged in their pursuit, knowing that somehow they lacked something, weren't the best, but they were willing to commit to the work and were open to receiving feedback and guidance along the way, actually soared, became the smartest, the highest achievers in the class. And she quotes it as this, for the most part, there was no realistic expectation for these people of ever catching up to their ambitions. In their own eyes, they were never enough and not good enough. They were opposite of complacent. In a very real sense, they were satisfied being unsatisfied. It was the chasing of something of unparalleled interest and importance. And it was the chase as much as the capture that was gratifying to them. So, yeah, that is interesting. I mean, just wow. It gives me so much hope that hard work pays off. Exactly. You know, that you really can uh, achieve things without a lot, of, necessarily a lot of native intelligence or talent. Well, you know, we used to joke, and I was in my previous life before ministry, I was in show business. And I always knew that um, when I was auditioning, I was a choreographer and director, and we were audition people. And there was always, you know, the ones who really stood out as really exceptional. And then you were choosing someone who was just marginal, just about to make the cut, but and you had to make a choice and you would put them in the show. Nine out of 10 times, that person went on to be the best in the show, went on to be really beyond appearances. So they didn't audition well. They couldn't come into an audition and blow you away. But they were dogged in their work. When they got into the rehearsal room, when they got into the the, the actual work of round, you know, week after week performances, they were so good. They were so determined to keep improving that by the time the show was up and running, they were the best. They were the most amazing. How interesting. The ones who barely made the cut barely made the cut, turned out to be the ones you really wanted all along. Was it because they didn't audition well or because they grew so much just during the rehearsal process? 
Well, I think it's a combination of both. I think there are people who just naturally are gifted in some areas. You know, some some of us are, some people are very smart. Some people are good singers, just have a natural talent and ability. Some people are great dancers. Some people are wonderful actors intuitively in, in the show business realm. But those who have to work harder at it, understand the mechanics, uh, have a greater sense of devotion. So there's a greater arc of improvement that you see. Mm-hmm. There's a greater capacity for achievement down the line. And I think that's what the story of Angela Duckworth is. She may not have been the smartest kid in the class. Her father may, while cruel, may not have been totally wrong in his assessment that she wasn't naturally gifted with intelligence. But, you know, there's studies that show, I forget the name of it, but you remember this. There was a study way back in the 50s and 60s where they were following IQ, gifted students who scored incredibly high in the IQ. And they studied them for a period of 30 years, 40 years, a long-term study. And what they discovered, they thought these kids, these gifted kids would excel beyond all their peers in school, but they didn't. They absolutely had mid-level, mid-management jobs when they reached adulthood. And there's not a direct correlation between IQ and genius or IQ and success mm-hmm. that there are so many other factors that weighed in their innate curiosity their emotional intelligence their ability to work with other people and to incorporate new ideas just basic iq isn't actually determinative of how well you do in life sure because we've all known really brilliant people who have no people skills at all <laughs> and, and drive people away in droves uh-huh uh, right. And so they should be in a lab somewhere working alone. <laughs> <laughs> now, I think personal to, to anyone out to there. Any who is high IQ. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, but there is a, a real gift at it. You know, I think that genius and success are about working at something Ooh. that you really love and never giving up, never throwing in the towel. Mm-hmm. Now, that's different than taking a break. That's different than stepping back to evaluate. But never throwing in the towel to me means, you know, okay, so I've hit a roadblock. I've hit an obstacle. What is it showing me? What do I need to learn to be able to climb this mountain? How can I readjust? That kind of real grit, that kind of, all right, if it's not today, it will be next week. That knowing that down the road, there's something better in store for me if I just stick with it is what I call tenacity. That's what I call grit. Okay. This is an interesting concept for spiritual people, because I think often when we hit obstacles, we say, well, it's just not meant to be. This is, you know, this is a sign that I'm not on the right path. And so how do you know when it's an obstacle to be overcome or it really is guidance that this door is closing and you should do something else? Mm-hmm. So I always ask my students and people I'm working with on this question, what's the underlying drive to this goal? 
So if you set a goal to say, you know, become a teacher, that's what you want to do. And you constantly are getting roadblocks on the way. So I can't get this job. I got turned down for this role. I got turned down for this school. I ask, so why do you want to become a teacher? What is it that's inspiring you to become a teacher? And is being a elementary school teacher or a grammar school teacher or a college professor the only way that you can achieve that goal, that underlying? So if the underlying goal is that I want to work with students, I want to work with people to shift their understanding and to change their lives, I want to be of service to the world. Well, there's infinite ways that you could do that. Working at that specific school isn't one of them. It isn't the only way to fulfill your desire. So is your goal really to have your desire fulfilled or to, to achieve a specific outcome, meaning uh, a title, a, uh, a linear, tangible school? You know, there's a million ways to be a change agent. Teaching at Stanford or teaching at Unity Worldwide Institute or <laughs> aren't the only ways to do that. There's more ministry done without the title of minister than could be ever described here on this show. We all know them. The people yes. who minister without the credential. Gosh, yes. So that I think really was what drives it. But I, I developed a process that I teach in, in the Absolute Abundance course, and it's called the Four Steps of Manifestation. And I, well, we, we have enough time right now. I'm going to lay them out. We can talk about them after the break. The first one is to name and claim your goal, your dream, to actually commit yourself to articulating what it is your heart desires, to know that what fulfills you will be a blessing to yourself and to others and to make it part of your map. And then the next step is number two is to take concrete steps. It's not enough just to have the goal, to put it on a dream board, to put it you know, in your journal, uh, but is to actually take the steps necessary to, to make it manifest. So are there classes that you need? Are there things you need to clear from your life to make it happen? Do you need to create a pathway for your own fulfillment? And then the third step is to share your journey, is to be really thoughtful and careful about it, but not to keep it to yourself, to tell everyone you know in every way you can what your goal is. You'll be amazed at the people that rush in to help you or the serendipitous connections that you may not know exist within your own circle right now that will lead you down the path to your goal. And then the fourth step in that is to be open. You never know where your blessings will appear or how life will unfold. And I think this hits right against what you were just asking about obstacles. You have to be open to how it's going to show up in your life. Mm -hmm. right? You can't say, okay, so this is my good. That's it. And, and in my life, I've always done that or in the past. I want to make sure it's in the past. I did that with romantic relationships. You know, that's my good. That specific person. Right that there. person, yes. 
he's the one that's going to make me happy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and the, the arrogance and lunacy of that is laughable to me now because I'm in love with an amazing man who I knew already, but I had already discounted him as a romantic partner. No, we're friends. He's not my partner. And it took an unexpected awakening for me to realize that what I've been asking for all along has already been in my life. <laughs> like, this is exactly what we teach, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Your good is already uh, here. It's already here. It's not out there. It's not looking for you. It's right here right now. Yeah. And that moment, that shift when I allowed that man to love me opened to where I sit today with three children, um, ministry, and talking to you on the radio. Yeah. And still with him. And still with him. Yeah. He's in New York City today. We're all over the place. Our daughter's in, in, uh, San Francisco. Our son is in New Orleans. Uh, our other son is here in Nashville with me, and JB is working in New York City today. Talk wow. about abundance. <laughs> we we have an abundance of callers all of a sudden, um, but I think I'm going to hold off on you all until after the break, which will be a few minutes. And Ken, let me ask you a quick question in the minute or so we have left. Uh, okay. Before the show, you sent me a definition for... Mm-hmm for grit. It was firmness of mind or spirit, which we've talked about, but then unyielding courage in the face of hardship or danger, mm. which seems a little different to me from just tenacity. I mean, when you're faced with danger. Um, yeah. Well, danger is an interesting term, right? Because it assumes that something is a threat to you. But there's danger in lots of different ways. There's danger to our self-identity. There's danger to our physical being. There's danger to the status quo. And tenacity and grit is about courage. So courage, as we know, means you know to take action in the face of fear. So if I'm experiencing danger, It may be danger that I could get my heart broken. It may be danger that I could be physically harmed. And it may be danger that I'm going to get disappointed. And those are things how we can look at that. Yeah. Okay. So we are at break time. But when we come back, we have a couple of callers. And we'll talk some more about Ken's four steps for how to build your grit muscle. (laughs) Your grit muscle. Anyway, we'll be back with Voices of Unity after this. We are spiritual beings having a human experience. Welcome to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. When listeners like you contribute to Unity Online Radio, you're making a positive difference in your life and the lives of other spiritual seekers. Go to unityonlineradio.org and click on Donate to make a one-time donation or sign up for monthly contributions. Thank you for your support. 
Here's a Unity Mindful Moment with Reverend Wendy Craig Purcell from Unity San Diego discussing change and transition. And as we begin to really identify the endings in our lives, to deal with them completely and wholly, to heal from them as we must, as we are willing to be in a time of not knowing, a time of uncertainty, but a time of trusting that there is a blueprint, there is a plan, there is a destiny. As we move successfully through these experiences, we will find that we are evolving and emerging into something new and different. And everyone and everything that has been happening in your life, both the things that are easy and good and pleasant, and those things that are challenging and painful and difficult, are drivers for your own evolution. To find a Unity Church near you, visit unity.org. Daily Word has developed beautiful card decks to support your spiritual journey. One deck is about healing. Another is about finding peace in troubled times. And the family cards are two decks, one for parents and one that can be colored on for children, so families can talk about spiritual principles together. The card decks are available from Unity. Go to unity.org, then click on Shop or call 1-800-24-UNITY Monday through Friday. Give someone you love the gift of inspiration with a subscription to Unity Magazine. Each issue has interesting articles and compelling interviews from some of today's most prominent spiritual thought leaders. Explore new ideas in health, science, spirituality, and a lot more. Send gifts to your family and friends and save $7 off the subscription rate. Get a one-year subscription for just $14.95. This offer ends on December 31st, so go to unity.org to find out more. Recovery from addiction can be a lonely experience. Get help and support with Reverend Lonnie Vanderslice, Reverend Dan Beckett, and Spirit of Recovery every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Central. Welcome to a place where spirituality and recovery meet. Each week, you'll hear stories and topics that are important to the recovery community. Tune in for some lively conversation and join in with your questions and comments. Nearly 21 million people struggle with addiction in America. Reach out and join us here on UnityOnlineRadio.org. Call now with your question or comment. 816-251-3555. That's 816-251-3555. Thanks for joining us. Welcome back to Voices of Unity with Reverend Ellen Devonport. And we are back. We are talking about grit or tenacity today with Reverend Ken Daigle from Unity of San Francisco. We have two callers waiting, so let's take these calls, Ken. This first one, there we go, is Andrea. Are you there? Hi, I'm here. Hi, Hi Ellen what's your Ken. question? Has, yeah, it has been a wonderful conversation, and I read grit not too long ago, and I pondered at that time while I was too pondering is how to uh, reconcile the idea of tenacity and fulfilling a goal with the idea that what well, I don't know what's best for me. Because right at this point in my life, I have a clear idea that I don't have the full picture and I don't know what's the best for me. So I got a more like laid back attitude. So it's hard to be more tenacious or persistent towards a goal. So how to still find that persistence with the idea of more I don't know the full picture, and I don't know what's best for me in every moment. 
Yeah, Ken. It's a great question, it is. Andrea. So let me ask you, do you, have you ever experienced in your life a moment of knowing what's best for you? I, uh, yeah, many times I thought I knew what was best for me. <laughs> I was, uh, <laughs> well, I mean, I but right. it actually unfolded. You thought something was best for you. You experienced it. You lived into it. And yes, that was true. This was really good for you. Yeah, sometimes it was, and sometimes it wasn't. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, so now I'm so uncertain. Yeah. When when you look back on the times that it was, what was the feeling or the experience of the journey? Uh, so well, it was good. Remember a time when it, it really worked, yeah. and tell me about what it felt like. Yeah, when it what it worked on the times that it worked. Um, yeah, I could say that I was tenacity, and I can like for example, give the example of my marriage and the journey through it and the persistence of it, and it it turned out great. So it, it was a wonderful experience, and yeah, I didn't always know how, how things are going to unfold. Right. So there was, but there was some sense of of right path in your mind, your heart, maybe it'd be a better word. There was a sense yeah. of understanding in your heart that this is what I need. Yeah, there was a certainty do. actually. <laughs> I'm sorry, say that again. There was a certainty actually that was the right path. It is to it. Yeah. yeah, that's a faith, right? The assurance of things longed for, the certainty of things not seen. Right. There's a faith when you know you're taking the right steps, when you know you're pursuing something that your heart is calling you to, that can't you can't be stopped. You can't be stopped from doing it. So, you know, whatever it is, if you look back on all the jobs you may have had in your life, it might be, a, a you know, a very vast um, range of things that you've done for a living. But there also might be a consistency in what you actually did in those jobs like you were helping someone in a certain way that you were working with a certain kind of person that yeah that's true i call your passion or your true purpose your true purpose in life you can be a you know a janitor or you can be the president of the United States, but you can be a purpose in that moment. Uh, the job title is irrelevant. What your purpose is, is to be fill in the blank. Mm -hmm. My purpose is to be here and a change agent for the healing of the planet. If that is your purpose, whatever you're doing at the moment is irrelevant when you're in your purpose. I could be here talking to you, Andrea, or I can be holding my son at the hospital. So when do you get most lit up? When do you feel like you're living in your purpose? Right. Okay. No, no, I'm asking, really. When do you feel oh, like you're living when... in your purpose? <laughs> When I feel when I'm at service is when I feel I mean my um, leaving my purpose and depending on the job some jobs I I'm you know always at service but some I didn't feel less comfortable being at service or it didn't feel right I guess the service mm. I was doing even though I was in service I don't know if that makes sense it does because I think we need to I think all of us need to listen more to those voices that tells us it doesn't feel right. 
Right. You know, and I've certainly been there. I've been in a job where it didn't feel right and I kept doing it because I needed the check or I was scared that there was nothing else out there for me or I believed I wasn't good enough to get anything else. And mm-hmm. today I can look back on all those and go, okay, so where am I doing that now? Where am I limiting my good by accepting something I feel isn't quite right and not articulating that. So I believe that we are all here to make a difference in the world, that we were born for a purpose, a divine calling. And when we can listen to our heart and be open to it showing up in different ways, then we are really doing it. You know, I went into show business because I knew that Telling a story and being part of that experience changed people's lives. When theater is done well, it is life-changing. And when that stopped working for me and wasn't working, I chose the calling to come into ministry. And now I get to tell stories in a daily and weekly basis that I, I get to watch people's lives change because I'm telling the story. I'm sharing the journey. So... My purpose hasn't changed, just my job type, right? Just the way I'm doing it has changed. But my purpose has remained the same through all of that. And that's what I hope and call you to. So thank you. Andrea, thank you so much for calling. Thank you. Ken, you are breaking up a bit. Ah, okay. So Jeff, our, Jeff, our engineer, says if you'll turn off your video, you may have stronger bandwidth for audio. Okay. Meanwhile, uh, let's bring on Robert, who has been waiting a long time with a question or a comment. Robert, are you there? I'm here. Thank you. Thank you. How are my you? question is this. I'm doing well. I'm doing well. And my question is this. You know, I know from my own personal experience, the the most challenging part of developing grit is in the midst of the situation when a strong part of myself is just saying, I'm done, I've had enough, I don't want to do it. Yet, deep inside, I know that there's still more for me to do. I'm clear that it's right, I'm clear I need to do it, but it's embracing that discomfort. And I was just curious... Ken, if you had something to share around the process of just moving through the discomfort that could be beneficial to myself and to the other listeners. Thank you, Robert. It's a, it's a great question, and I, I think it's a both and. Yeah. When you're in discomfort about something like that, that you just don't feel, I think you just said you don't feel like it can do it, I can you have to honestly listen to that voice and take a break because this process, just like sleep and awake, needs some time away that we have to go through the cycles of recharging our batteries. And so there may be two things going on. There may be a need for a respite, for a break, for reevaluation. Um, you know, the the dogged pursuit doesn't mean 24-7. It may mean the vacation you need to take. It may mean that radical self-care. And I know for myself, I'm not always good at doing it. I 
you know, no, it's my job this week to be there with Joshua. I'm here in Nashville, so it's my job to be there and hold him as much as I can. I'm there at 6 a.m. for the rounds with the ENT doctors. I'm there at 7 o'clock at night for the change of the nursing staff. And where am I taking care of myself in that? So my question would be, Robert, when you're feeling that, I can't go on, do you have a practice of self-care? Are you putting in the 12-hour days? Are you putting in the seven days a week kind of activity? Or is there something where you're sitting and listening to your own heart, listening to other people's journey, and, and taking the time to get the wisdom of those moments? What do you think? Well, you know, I, I think it might be similar to what you just shared in that I'm not always um, regular with it. There are things that I do, uh, and certainly they help. And, um, yeah, it's, sometimes it's a matter of taking that step back. But at the same time, there's that point where it's the time is now. It's time to act. And maybe about 60% of myself is ready, and the other 40% still in holdback. So I'm, I'm curious, um, assuming that the self-care has happened, what would be that next step? Yeah, what, what's the holdback? Um, the holdback could be fear. The holdback could be um, curious if I, if I have what it takes in the moment to make it happen. So fear of failure, fear of... Uh, not being enough, uh, fear of, depending on the situation, it could be fear of stepping into something greater and being more exposed and more vulnerable. Mm-hmm. I'd say those are the three biggest categories of fear that I usually face. Yeah. <laughs> I, I identify with that a little bit. Uh, <laughs> right? So fear of not being good enough. I think that is is the most common fear that all of us face in life from my experience and uh, uh you know the the uh, imposter syndrome that mm. Brene brown we talked about Brene yes uh, a couple of weeks ago and Brene talks about the imposter syndrome that all of us think we're just some kind of fraud they're going to find out i don't know what i'm doing that i'm find out that i don't really deserve this title or this job and that fear can be disabilitating to your life but what you just did, Robert, was to, to tell on it, to say, I don't think I can, I can do this. I don't think I'm good enough. And that is the first step into connection, into changing that, to uh, exposing it to light. You know, what we talk about in unity spirituality frequently is that, you know, that you're not driving away darkness. You're just turning on the light. Right? Mm. You're not, the darkness isn't right. going anywhere. It's just all you're doing is letting the light in. We open the door to let the sunlight in. We turn on the light switch to let it flow, but it's always there. So that moment of realness and vulnerability allows you to accept help also. Who of us doesn't need to know something else to succeed? Mm-hmm. Who can't improve? Who couldn't get better in what they do? That's what Angela talks about in her book about grit. It's that ability to constantly and ever ceasingly 
longed for something more than we know right now. And that's what I hear you doing just by calling into the show and asking this question, is that you are mm -hmm. longing for something more than your understanding of life and your own job right now, your own being right now, to know who you really are. You're a human, you're divine, and what more has life in store for you and God has in store for you. Yeah. So is there one small step you could take today? Um, well, the one small step is really to just, I've laid out my plan for the day. Um, I'm going to stick to the plan and then I'm going to give myself some self-care once I'm along the way and when I'm completed and celebrate the completion. Right. Thank you, Robert. Thanks okay, for calling, thank Robert. Yeah. If anyone else wants to call, the number is 816-251-3555 if you're listening live on September 25th. Um, and Ken, let me just insert here that, you know, this is your last show with me, at least for the time being. Our next guest is going to be Carla McClellan, who is a life coach. And so I think we'll be talking at some length about exactly these things, how to set a goal, how to know what you want. And back to Andrea's great question, which is, do you, do you set a goal and persevere with tenacity or do you just go with the flow? And I know people who swing to both sides of that or either side of that. Um, so it, those should be some interesting conversations too, starting next week. But Ken, I wanted to get back to your four ways to build the grit muscle. And the first one is that. It's name and claim your dream or your goal. But what about just going with the flow, waiting to see what shows up? Well, life will always show up. And it always is a matter of saying yes, sir. I mean, there's a, it, if we live in an infinite universe, which I believe we do, or just a, you know, a very, very abundant one, <laughs> however you want to phrase it, there's always going to be choices. And no is a great thing to be able to say. To be able to say no to something means that you are defining the boundaries of your dream and goal. So, no, I'm, I'm going to say no to that opportunity allows you to focus in on a very specific path. Mm -hmm. Going with the flow would be really difficult because every step of the way you're presented with choices. So, I think you need to filter a understanding to make those choices from. I know in my work at the Unity on the Unity World Headquarters Board, we use our mission statement, our purpose statements to filter choices. Is this ours to do? And in the Absolute Abundance course I teach, it's a, our main goal in the main course is to make a purpose statement for our lives. So we filter everything we're doing, the understanding. And I do it in my life my purpose statement. So it is that I joyfully teach, demonstrate, and inspire truth, wholeness, and abundance. Mm -hmm. And if I know I'm in that, if I know I am work, uh, have a choice to make, and I look at whether it fulfills my purpose statement, 
Is it joyful? Is it make me feel joyful? Am I spreading truth? Am I talking about wholeness and abundance? Am I in my purpose? I get to say yes or no. And then I can I can choose. All of them may lead me to that, but I'm going to have a personal preference on them. I'm also, for those of you who know the Enneagram, I'm a seven on the Enneagram. Of course Which you means, are. of course, right? Doesn't make total sense. It means that I like to go from activity to activity to activity. That I don't like just doing one thing. I've got 10 projects going and I'll spend a little bit of time on each project before any of them ever get finished. But that works for me and I know that about myself. It's a, a personality choice that somehow developed in my life because of my birth order, because of my parents, for whatever reason, or I was born with it. And knowing it allows me to choose, okay, I'm actually gonna stay on this activity, even when it gets a little difficult, even when I know I, my longing is somewhere else because I wanna complete this one. I wanna say yes to this. And so those kind of conscious awareness choices are in the first step. Name and claim your goal. And that's also in, in, in number two, which is how I make concrete steps towards the goal. I have to sign up and then take the class. I have to say yes and show up at a certain date and time. And those for me are the concrete steps. Right. And I loved what you said, I think it was last week, when you said baby steps are not small for the baby. <sighs> yeah, that's right. So it's okay to take baby steps. Oh, absolutely. I think it's really all we can do because as Robert talked about the fear, right? And I talked about the fear too. It's, it's what limits us. And so a baby step, a tiny step, when you're in the middle of fear is monumental. And it's what shifts the fear. Okay, look, I took one step out onto the edge of the diving board and I made it. I didn't tell one more funny story about that. Uh, in between show business and ministry, I was a trapeze instructor. No. no. Yes. I did not know so, that about you. Yeah, so my <laughs> nephew was living with me one summer. He's 13. I said, what am I going to do with a 13-year-old boy? And I took him to trapeze school in New York City on the piers, the Hudson Piers down, downtown. And... Uh, uh, when I did it, they, they took him and I, I went uh, trapezing with him. And when I got off the trapeze, the, uh, the owner of the place said, you're really good at this. Would you train to become an instructor? Because of my dance background, I understood mm -hmm. how to, to do it. And so right. I did. I, that summer I spent training to be a trapeze instructor for whatever reason. It was just <laughs> something fun to do. <laughs> and my husband now. We were dating at the time. Uh, we had, so my last class as we were instructors was we get to invite friends to come to trapeze and, and to get up there and to swing on the trapeze. And so I'm down on the ground and someone else is taking him up to the 40-foot platform to jump off and oh. to swing through the air. And I look up and he is frozen. He's got one hand on the trapeze and the other instructor's holding him and he's refusing to move. That would be me, <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> So I climb up the 40-foot ladder and I peer over the platform and he looks at me and says, this will not help. <laughs> Those are the words. So I relieve the other instructor and I said, so here's the deal. I've got you. You're really, you're really well protected. I, I got your back. And the only way down is through this. 
is through this. And so mm-hmm. I walked him through it, held on to him, and made him put his other hand on the trapeze bar. And he jumped and he swung out and he swung back and forth a couple of times and then fell down into the net. Never went back up. Never got back up on the platform. But he got <laughs> down by through through the journey. And what he did, he teaches public speaking at Stanford, right? Mm-hmm. And he teaches people how to do this. And he never understood how some of his students were just paralyzed with fear because right. he never had fear of public speaking. But he got how when you are in the middle of something and you're terrified, you can become frozen. And in that moment, we all need the coaches. We all need the friends. We all need the ones who say, I've got your back. You're uh-huh. safe. Get you down. <laughs> and so, you know, we talked about this before. Do you have those people in your life? Do you have those people who can walk you through the fear? And those yes. are important friends to have. So that's step right. three, which is share your journey. Yeah. You don't have to pursue your goals alone. No, no. Having mentors, having your dream team, you know, the people who have walked down the path before you to mm-hmm. guide you through it. I have a coach. I have a, uh, a coach for my ministry. I have a coach I check in with every two weeks about that. I have a personal coach for my 12, my sponsor in my 12 step program that I check in with regularly to make sure that I'm on track, mm-hmm. that I'm not veering off course. I have other mentors in the profession who I'm constantly asking for real feedback and help with because there are days when it's too much. There are days when I'm overwhelmed. Um, Right now, what's going on in the nation is really fascinating with the Me Too movement. and, um, And I've never publicly shared this, but I was sexually abused as a child. And I have been questioning whether to put the hashtag in my story out there. Mm -hmm. Uh, I was eight years old when my abuse started. He had no part in causing it, right? But it happened to me. And it took me decades, decades before I even recognized it as abuse, much less told anyone else. Yeah. And I had a specific therapist who walked me through it in New York City, and I still have a therapist today in San Francisco whose specialty is childhood sexual survivors, sexual abuse survivors. Mm-hmm. And that has colored my life in ways that are important and in ways now that I can publicly speak about it to go, okay. I'm sharing my journey because it's important to understand everything that influences my choices and that awareness and that commonality. When I watch the Me Too memes and the the courage that people are sharing their stories right now, I'm in awe awe and sad at the same time, too, for how many of us have endured something like this. And uh, that has to stop. And it only stops when we when we can be courageous again, going through the fear and stepping out, stepping Mm -hmm. out and tell the truth. So that's sharing your journey, which is a form of grit going through the fear. And then we have to talk really fast now. But step four is be open. Does that mean let go of the outcome? 
let go of the vehicle the outcome shows up in. So the specific person, the specific job. Yes. Yeah. yeah. The specific role you're supposed to play, you know, um, because we all have ideas of what a leader is. The best leaders actually let other people shine, right? Mm -hmm. The best mentors are the ones who listen the best. The best sports players understand what a team is. So while we all have individual stars and we all have individual goals, I think there's a great divine paradox at work. So being open means that the least likely of your choices might actually be the best. Wow. <laughs> it might be on the <laughs> bottom of your list, could actually fulfill your dreams beyond your wildest hope. Yeah. Ken, thank you so much for being with us these eight weeks. It has been interesting and unexpected, and you are so eloquent, and I am really grateful. We will be back with Voices of Unity next week, starting a new series with Coach Carla McClellan. This is Ellen Devonport. We'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. I'm Dr. Mona Lisa, and I've been a medical intuitive for over 30 years. Let me help you find new ways to heal physical and emotional problems. Be a part of my Healthy Living Intuitively podcast studio audience every week. Follow me on Facebook, Dr. Mona Lisa fan page, and Instagram, Dr. Mona Lisa One, to get that information. I answer audience questions, and you can learn from people calling in that might be dealing with the same things that you are. Follow Healthy Living Intuitively, part of the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network, and wherever you get your podcasts.